As we uh, continue in the Sermon on the Mount, just going through a few verses here, uh, teachings of Jesus, starting at verse 31. But before I read that, when you take pieces like this, obviously it was all most likely given at once. Uh, You kind of kind of remember at the very beginning of this sermon who he's talking to. Um, we look at this, and it can get, you can get legalistic really fast, and that's not really what it's supposed to be about. If you remember, he starts with the Beatitudes. And if, if, we, if you remember when we went through there, uh, the Beatitudes are not so much just different aspects of people. It's, 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 it's different aspects of the same person. What does it mean to be a Christian? That you are poor in spirit, that you know that you're guilty before a holy God, so you mourn your sin. That's the sense, blessed are those who mourn. And then you, you come into the idea of meekness, which is a quiet strength of character, knowing that through God I can do this, but with only his help. And that's key when you read the rest of this. And then you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You, you want to be pure in spirit. You want to be peacemaker and, and be persecuted for his sake. All that stuff. So it's in the background. These are, he's talking to people who are disciples that realize that the only reason they're in a relationship with the Father is because of what the Son will do for them. And so this is always in that yoke that he talks about later in Matthew. So that's when he's, try, he's talking to believers here always. So as we read this, starting verse 31 about divorce and oaths, think of that in the background. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. So... He's talking about, in the first part, what we call the seventh commandment. You guys already know the ninth because we just talked about that, and we'll talk about that again. The seventh commandment is, he gives more teaching if you go a little bit later into Matthew 19. And this is helpful for us today, I think, as we look at it. Um, Here, it's an encounter. This is a sermon. Pharisees come up to him and test him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Um, well, what's he doing here? We know now, historically, even though this is not internally in the Bible, that there was a school of thought from a rabbi by the name of Shammai, who was more conservative, I guess we'd call him, um, and one by the name of Hillel, which was more liberal about this particular issue. Uh, rabbi Shammai was pretty conservative on it about, you know, you, this divorce thing is important. You don't want to be doing this. Marriage is too important for that. And very low, a very high bar to be able to do it. Hillel was kind of like, you know, whatever. Um, if you want to do it, you know, she burnt the toast. You know, it's not always quite that bad, but uh, uh, it comes from that. And, and this, you see what they're doing. This is way Judaism has worked forever, and Jesus is a rabbi. We kind of get that from him. You look at the commandments back in Deuteronomy 24. What are the ways it's supposed to be handled? And then you apply it, and that's what these guys are doing. That's what Jesus is doing. So really what they're asking, where are you on this, Jesus? Do you side with kind of the more conservative school or the more liberal school? And he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his 
father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So that's kind of where we are here in this debate. Jesus, not only does he kind of side on the conservative side, he makes Shammai look liberal. I mean, he really goes after it. Um, and, you know, sometimes we read this stuff, we get uncomfortable, and I'm like, yeah, I think if any of us hung around Jesus for very long, he'd make you uncomfortable. I think he probably still put his arm around you as he made you uncomfortable. But he's like, you know, I really care about you too much to let you just kind of hang in this end. Let's, let's just deal with this. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to pass the buck, but maybe a little. Um, if you don't like it, you know, I mean, take it up with him. He's the one that said it. I'm just kind of bringing you what he said. So if you throw stuff, throw it at him. Well, they did. Didn't they? You remember they killed him? <laughs> they didn't necessarily like what he said. Um, so what he had kind of answered this in three parts. He said the Pharisees are preoccupied with the grounds for divorce, and Jesus was, he was preoccupied with the foundation of marriage. I don't know, do you remember where that, that trex comes, the two will become one flesh? You know where that's at? Genesis 2. It's pretty early. <laughs> pretty early. Uh, right after Eve was created, um, this was the institution of marriage, really. Um, it was God instituted. States can look at it and say they like it or not like it. It's up to them. Um, but just as an aside, that verse 4 and 19 is a good one for all the issues, in my opinion, to go back to. If you're talking about divorce or same-sex this or same-sex that or gender identity or anything else, haven't you read that in the beginning, God made them male and female? And let's just go with that. It's really not hard, I don't think. One man and one woman before one God for one lifetime. That's really, the rest of it takes care of itself. Just remember that. And that's what Jesus was kind of, he said, this marriage is something that I came up with. God came up with. This is important. So did he answer their question? Not really. I don't really side with this guy or that guy. Jesus has been doing this through the whole Sermon on the Mount. I say, I don't really care what Shammai says. I mean, think about who's talking here. You got And then the rabbi was maybe a really cool guy. You know, he was a nice guy if you got to know him. I don't know. But he's not Jesus. Jesus didn't really care what they were saying. He cared what the scriptures said. So he goes, haven't you read? It's almost like you guys are so smart. Haven't you read what the foundation is? So according to Jesus, marriage is both exclusive and permanent. Uh, it was always supposed to be that way. And it didn't take long for you to get messed up. You know where the tribe, 12 tribes of Israel came from, right? Four different women. Doesn't always work the way you want, right? God worked through it. Um, the second one is the Pharisees called Moses' provision for divorce a command. He actually says, but Moses commanded this. Moses did not command this. Jesus called it a concession. Remember, he said, because your hearts were hard. That's why I gave you this. Now, many Pharisees focus on the certificate of divorce. It's like this is make their sure this is legal. Um, Deuteronomy 24 is misapplied. It's about remarriage and what is allowed, not commanded, uh, what you can do. You see this in 1 Corinthians. Paul kind of sums up a lot of the stuff he's talking about with the old covenant and how the new covenant, uh, the lens is a little different. He says all things are lawful. He's talking about salvation, right? 
All things are lawful. You're, if, you're, if you're following Jesus, it's not that it's good that you do it. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. If you're in Christ, you can mess up, and that can be forgiven. That's what he's talking about here. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And that's the problem with the divorce thing. Who is the guy thinking of? Wasn't that true in about any conflict in a relationship, right? Usually kind of gets taken care of if you start thinking about the other person and not you. <laughs> That's true in any relationship, right? Certainly true in marriage relationship. So looking at God's instructions is prohibitions only, and we do that, you know, the thou shalt nots, you know, okay, this is what I shouldn't do. It's going to cause you to look for loopholes. <laughs> you know, did I, okay, I think I can still do this. <laughs> It's not really the way Jesus wants us to do it. You know, he wants us to do it because we love him, not because we're just trying to follow the rules. And the whole idea is you should look at God's instructions as beneficial to your life. Because it is hard. I realize people who see this maybe don't grow up with it, and then they're told as they become Christian that there's certain behaviors that God does not honor. And it looks like they're being stifled or being... Uh, you know, the freedom is being being taken away from them. But it's it's the old adage that, yeah, it may be neat for a three-year-old to play in the traffic in Omaha, but it's not beneficial. And the three-year-old may not know that, right? And sometimes we're three years old when it comes to the way we look at stuff. We're like, but this seems good to me. But God says, no. Is that beneficial? It's not always easy, is it? You know, you think about that in life. Sometimes we get that. I, I've said that before. It's kind of a cliche, I know. But it's like if you're worshiping God and you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. But I, I, what I mean is it should some, somewhere there should be some joy here. If you're following Jesus and it's like, man, this is really, really boring, I think you're missing something. You know, you look at the angels in Revelation and they're worshiping God. They do not look bored. In fact, anybody that encounters God doesn't look bored. They may look scared, but they don't look bored. So that's, it, it, and again, if you're thinking like, wow, there's things in my life that God says clearly I shouldn't do and I'm doing or should do that I'm not doing, and I don't feel like it, well, then I just pray to God that maybe he'll help you feel it. I don't know. Help me feel it, Lord. Help me want to do what you want to do. It's a good prayer. I think God might want to answer that for you. But what was God's original intention? Back to chapter 19. It was not from the way from the beginning. This is the way it is. Because you, you've had people say that. Well, you know, Jacob had a number of wives. How did that work out? I mean, it's not a good idea. It, it, because it was never supposed to be that way. Did God work through it? Yeah. But if you read those narratives about, if you remember the Leah, Rachel thing, you know, and then he kind of got tricked and all that kind of stuff. And, and then he gets the, then they get the maidservants so they can have kids. You can read through all that. You know who's never mentioned in any of that? God. We never have Jacob saying, well, Lord, you know, we don't have any kids, and what do you want me to do? He just goes and does it. God's not in it. I mean, does he work through it? Yeah, but he's not in it. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting in those texts. So the Pharisees regard the divorce lightly. Jesus took it seriously. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so that's what he repeats here in verse 32, hitting it pretty hard. So he sees the Pharisees' position as too lax. A man could get divorced fairly easily. And that's true in our culture, too. What do we have that's called a no-fault divorce? 
That's an oxymoron, isn't it? So you're just walking along and, well, I guess we're divorced. <laughs> Didn't know that happened. You know, as if nothing happened. It's like, and I don't know, but it's just kind of interesting. It's so easy to get at this time. They did add a law, I think, if I remember, that you have to go to mediation or something now, right? That's, that's good. Why does the state give a hoot about marriage? <laughs> and? No, I'm just, yeah, yeah you, you, who knows? I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Why, why have cultures done that? Why is it, in, in, I mean, the answer, deep answer, it's probably true now, that. Um, but the deep answer is this is how society was foundationally made by God. If you're not going to follow that, you can marry your parakeet. I don't know. Do whatever you want. What difference does it make? If, if, if it's just an individual thing, it's not about society and culture. It's not about raising children. It's not about making society flourish and doing what God wants. Then marry whoever you want. As many people as you want, as often as you want. And why should the state give a hoot other than taxes? Um, yeah, this is why, I think, as long as we're trying to follow what's right, then, yeah, the state should care about human flourishing in society and culture. So Jesus says he gave one exception in staring married, and, and, and we get it. Sometimes it's translated sexual immorality, sometimes unfaithfulness. It, it's a very, it's a pornea word, and you can figure that word out for the way it gets used in our culture. But it's a comprehensive word. It has lots of meaning to it. It's more deep than we, it, it can be adultery, fornication, and any unnatural vice in that type of, of thing. And again, not to look for loopholes. I remember in seminary, one of the things they would, we had to take these tests, you know, and I remember one of the questions in the ordination exams was about a lady comes into your office and has an arm in a sling and a black eye and says there's some problems in their marriage and then proceeds to tell you how said black eye and arm got there. What do you do? And I, you know, you don't know, you're just writing this stuff. And I said, I'd get her out of the house. I'd do what I could to protect her. Because, you know, because the question before was about forgiveness. And I don't know if they were trying to get us to say that. And I'm like, maybe later, <laughs> but right now, I'm just going to teach her how to duck, you know. I mean, get out of the situation. And I, I got a perfect score on that one. It's like, this made sense, right? This is part of the unfaithfulness. I mean, people say, well, you know, it's not, they're not sexually, but I don't think, I think that word includes that. If it's serial, unrepentant, ongoing, get her out of there. Uh, and another one you'll see, this is in 1 Corinthians 7, is, uh, but if the unbelieving partner separates, that's another one, if the, you know, this is a situation which happened in the early church, obviously, because Christianity's coming into the scene, and you get a partner that believes in Jesus, and now one that doesn't. And early in this, Jesus or excuse me, Paul says that, you know, well, hang in there with them if they're treating you well. You know, maybe they'll become a believer too. But if they separate, then you're not enslaved in your own. So, I mean, again, it's not loopholes. It's common sense, isn't it? I mean, why would you tell a woman to go back and get beat up to forgive him? I, that makes no sense to me. I mean, Jesus, Jesus would probably smack him, I think. I don't know if I could find that verse. Um, I'll look for one. Maybe there is. So wait till we get to turn the other cheek. We'll talk about that a uh, couple weeks. But again, common sense. It's, it's unfaithfulness. Are they being unfaithful? Well, beating them up is unfaithful. Um, can it be reconciled? Possibly. But get out of the situation first and then move on. 
So he saw the breaking of a marriage as a serious matter. Uh, the word does not mean incompatibility. Uh, it means something really deep. Um, and the Pharisees used it that way, and, and, and many today do that. It's just like, and part of it is the way we look at love, I think, don't you? We, know, we all know the definition of love because we've hit this hard, hard, hard. You know, it's, a, you know, it's an other-centered, willful, sacrificial care for someone. Willful. And emotion comes with it. But you, what do they say in, you know, in all the Hallmark movies, you know? Which, you know, aren't that bad. Sort of. They end well. It's kind of cool. Um, but you what into love? You fall into love, right? So if you can fall into love, what's, what can you also do? You can fall out of it. And I'm not saying people don't, but if you fall in love, there's just got to be more of a commitment than just how you feel, right? I hope. So things to remember about Jesus' comments on divorce for today. Human relationships are very important to God. In fact, they're the main thing. They're the treasures in heaven. I, I'm convinced of that. They're too important. It's not about rules. It's, not about, it's, it's about the other person. We must nurture them, work on them. Breaking them, especially marriage, should only be done in extreme circumstances. Because um, that is the foundational thing. Um, it can happen. Get wise counselors around you. Divorce should never be taken lightly or sought on a whim. I mean, that's kind of what was the problem back then. I think the Halil school is much more liberal than even today in our culture. Jesus' nature is about reconciliation. He's always about that. That's what he came for, was to reconcile us back to God and to each other. So it's always going to be important to him. Let's, let, what can we do to fix this? What can we do to, to, to continue our commitment to each other? Unfaithfulness allows but does not require divorce. I mean, I'm sure we all know people that have had... Marriages that maybe not were good for a while, but the reconciliation can come. It's something to try, you know. Uh, and E, you always have divorce is not unforgivable. Um, it's not at all. In fact, if I read this right, no sin is unforgivable, except just rejecting the spirit that Christ sends. So it, don't think about that. Don't think about, well, I went through this or I went through that or I did this wrong. We all do things wrong, but you can still be forgiven. The cross of Jesus is much stronger than any divorce. Um, so try to not do that, but if you do, what, what do we named our church again? Yeah, there's always grace, right? Um, and that, that pool is always, it never runs out. So always think that. Where's your heart? And then the oath one. He goes to honesty and speech, and this is a good one too. The ninth commandment says you should not bear false witness against your neighbor, which is kind of the lying one. Um, and he summarizes these Old Testament oaths by essentially saying, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So what you actually kind of see is it's not just the ninth commandment, it's a little bit of the third commandment, which says you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God, the Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. And he's kind of saying that if you say, how do we say it today? If you were going to swear on something, what would you use to make sure people knew you were serious? What was that? Swear to God. We do that, don't we? I think he's kind of saying don't do that. Still forgivable if you did it. Um, <laughs> or it used to be, you know, the pinky swear. Remember that one? <laughs> uh, swear on your mother's grave. I've heard that one. Uh, it's kind of morbid, but uh, but we're essentially what he's saying is you're you're making the object the deal. Uh, 
You get this in Numbers 30. He says, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall not do according to all, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. No swearing there. Um, it's not talking about the swear word stuff. It's talking about making oaths here. He points out that the Pharisees had missed the point. They had made keeping your word contingent on the supposed sacredness of the object by which you swore by. I swear on my mother's grave. Or I swear on the temple. Or, and he gives you some examples that they must have used. You know, I swear on the great city or all the great king and all this kind of stuff. And he's just saying you shouldn't have to do that. You should just be able to say, I'm going to do this and that's enough. Character issue here is what he's talking about. So you kind of got to, it's almost idolatry back to the second commandment, you know, that you're focusing on this is so important, and I have to do that for the oath to be real. And I think in verses 34 and 36, everything belongs to God. You don't have to do that. The precise wording of a vow is irrelevant. It's still binding. It should be binding. Um, we see this get picked up, this verse 37, which says, let nothing, let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more comes from the evil one. We get this picked up in, in the book of James, and I don't know how much you know about the book of James. It's a really cool book. It's written by James, hence the name. Um, <laughs> see, you learn stuff in sermons if you just listen up. Uh, this is James, the, uh, well, how should we say, half-brother of Jesus. Um, this is not James, the brother of John. He got killed fairly early and, well, somewhere in eight and ten years after the crucifixion. This is James who becomes the, the leader of the Jerusalem church. He's the one that kind of leads the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And he writes this book. And it's, it's kind of like, almost like Proverbs for the New Testament. If you're kind of looking for wisdom in a lot of things, uh, it starts out really good, you know. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Kind of a, it's a real good book, got a lot of good stuff in it. But James 3 says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Because what is he talking about? Keeping your word. Um, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, stating the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. You know, I wonder if he's thinking about John 8, which we'll look at, you know, the, where the devil is the father of lies. Um, but you think about this, you know, w you do this with kids. Remember that old little uh, thing we used to say, sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt me? You know, that's a bunch of baloney, right? Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's good to get somebody, some bully beat you up, or you're the bully and you got beat up, or whatever, uh, but that'll heal, you know. But one word can change somebody for a lifetime if they don't grab it. It's just, you know, uh, see the metaphor he's using? Oh, I'll just, <laughs> a little match. We'll just, we'll just say a little, and what happens? <laughs> you know, it's kind of gossip. I mean, I'm glad it doesn't happen in this town, but some towns it can get really bad. <laughs> you, know, you know, did you hear about the, you know, and I, I'd love to say, well, you know, I don't gossip, you know. People say that about me, <laughs> but no, I mean, you try not to, you try to, ju it's just so, but it, you know, people like, oh, did you hear about this? Oh, yeah. And, but it's just, what is the, you know, this is the thing we used to say, and I don't know if you can use this as foolproof, but if you're going to say something about someone, 
would you say that if they were there? Now, that's not always true, I realize, with interventions and stuff and all that, but, but it, for the most part, is that it? If you're going to say this information to somebody, if they were standing there, the person you're going to talk about, would, they, would, they, would that be okay? Then go ahead and say it. If not, maybe you should shut up. No, excuse me, I guess, uh, be quiet. You know, that's, that's kind of what he's talking And he, he goes on, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a relentless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in his likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be. <laughs> I just like the way he's like, you shouldn't be doing that. You, and that's, it's hard to do, isn't it? Uh, in the background of the two greatest commands, you know, love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. You know, it's, it's do we do both? Uh, this is the idea it, it, in the background. Of, and then look at this from chapter 5. But above all, see if this sounds familiar. My brothers, which is believers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Where did he get that? <laughs> he got that from the Sermon on the Mount. Which brings me to a complete tangent that I should not go down, but it's just fun. Um, I wonder if James was there. It's hard to know. We know his, his brothers and sisters didn't seem like, from the Gospel of John, didn't look like they really follow him. But just because you don't follow him doesn't mean you wouldn't be there. And I suppose maybe they had a transcript and got it later. But James quotes the Sermon on the Mount here. We have no other place where this is, so he has to, this is where it's coming from. This is really important, isn't it? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The real implication of the law is that we must keep our promises. Be people of our word. But you have to be smart about that, don't you? So I'm not telling you to not sign legal documents. Uh, that's not, but wouldn't it be nice <laughs> within the church if a handshake or just I'm going to do it was all we needed? Because um, what will, you know, what's that buyer beware? <laughs> you know, I mean, you still got to be smart about this. Uh, so what he emphasizes is honest people do not need to resort to oaths. Why do people do this, you think? Why do people think, well, I, you know, I, I swear on this or I swear on that? It might be because they've said they were going to do something and they didn't. <laughs> so now they've got to give some more. <laughs> That's kind of the way it goes. Now, I do think it seems overly literal to say it's wrong to take an oath required by an external authority. You know, I'm, I don't know how many, and I know no, nobody's going to raise their hand if they did it because every time I ask, nobody raises their hand. That's true. The ice cream thing did get some hands up, which was cool. Um, anybody ever been under oath and and uh, testified, where they say, you swear to tell, okay, show hands. Actually got to do that in the mur murder trial. Uh, we're not going to get into that if you want to hear about it and go to lunch or something. So you probably don't care. But if you do, let me know. <laughs> but when you do that, you know, I, what, is it, what is it? I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's the help of God. Kind of cool. Now, do we think that Jesus, oh, you can't do that. And there are some real conservative sections of Christianity that say you can't do that. I don't, I, don't, I think that's fine. I mean, I don't have trouble with that. Aren't you just saying I'm not going to lie? <laughs> no, okay. Um, but I think uh, you have to, it's kind of cool that's still in there, isn't it? it does every, I, I don't know, we got a lawyer, is it, is it every state still do that? 
to help you, God, or it may be, I don't know. And maybe not a rabbit trail to go down, but, uh, but I think the idea is that, are you honest? You know, we should have no trouble with that if we're honest. That swearing is a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty, right? If I've got a pinky swear and do all this other stuff and put a pledge up for my word, that apparently my word is really not that good. Um, the only reason to use oaths is because our simple word is not to be trusted. That's, that's kind of what Jesus... And again, mainly what he's talking about is how we treat each other as believers. You can't hold the... You know, do not... We're going to get this in chapter 6. Do not be like them, the non-believers, because they don't have the same uh, Lord. They don't have the same... Uh, they aren't following the same person. They don't go to the same marching orders. They're not part of the same community. doesn't mean everybody outside the church is dishonest. That's not the point. The point is we should be able to be, hold each other to honesty, even though we might not be able to hold people outside to honesty. So, yes, if you buy a house, I would get a lawyer. That would be dumb if you didn't, I think, in our culture. And it puts us in bad company in kind of that John 8. Uh, this is Jesus uh, talking in the temple area, a uh, long discourse there with some of the scribes and Pharisees and others. You, and that's who he's talking to these people who are rejecting his authority, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We don't want that. We don't want people to say, well, they're lying and that's their character. That's, yeah, we, we don't want that. And think about trust for a minute. You can build up trust for years, right? And one thing can tear that down. And you can build it back up, but it takes time. It, it, you think about that before we do that. You know, it's the idea of who's happy when we tell lies, you know? That's the... Did God really say... <laughs> Who said that? Did God really say you're not supposed to eat of this tree? That was just kind of a nice, tempting, veiled lie, wasn't it? God really say, you're sure? You know, is that out there today, right, so much? A.M. Hunter, who always wondered if he was born in the morning for some reason. But, um, I wonder if his brother was like Paul something, you know, P.M. Hunter. Whatever. Anyway. Um, oaths arise because men are so often liars. You know, that's why we have to write this stuff down. That's the uh, way we... So we should say what we mean, and we should mean what we say. Our words should be enough, yes or no. That's what Jesus is trying. Again, as a believer, because as I said to the kids, Jesus says that in John 14, you know, I am the way, finish it, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth. He is truth. That's what he's about. We need to be truthful. Now, that doesn't mean you can't uh, be smart about these things. And sometimes you get in a moral dilemma. I'm going to give you one. Um, no, I better not use that one. Um, <laughs> that, there's no way out of that one. Okay, let's go. This one, this one, this one's good. Um, anybody read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom? Um, one person. Uh, two. Do I hear three? Four. Five. Um, I'm not selling the book. I'm just trying to, yeah. But, but the, I, if you remember, the hiding place was the essentially trapdoor seller of this, this family in Holland that was hiding Jews during World War II. 
So think about how that happened, okay? So Jews come to your door, maybe running, maybe with a few clothes, maybe with a suitcase and saying, they're after us. Will you hide us? And you say yes. That's your yes be yes and your no be no. So what are you doing? Is it legal to put them in the base? No, it's illegal. But you're going to do it anyway. Why? Because you think saving them is more important than following a law that does not honor God, right? So you put them in the cellar. And this happened. You know. Here comes the SS. Do you have Jews in your house? And then you just had that for devotions this morning, along with A.M. Hunter. I don't know why that bothered me, but anyway. Um, and it said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So obviously you just say yes, right? Can't tell a lie. Life doesn't always work just smoothly, does it? What do you, this is called a moral dilemma. Is it wrong to lie? All things being equal. Yeah, ninth commandment, we've got that. Is it wrong to have evil people come and take people just because of their ethnicity and then have them executed? Now you've got to decide which one's worse. Is it really that hard? What if you're one of the Jews? What are you assuming that the person hiding you is doing for you? Why do they call it the hiding place? Because you're hiding. <laughs> right? You're telling them, I will protect you. I think you as an image bearer of God and one who follows the old covenant is worth hiding from people who want to kill you. That's what you're doing, and isn't that deceptive when they step up? You say, oh, yeah, they're right in the cellar. <laughs> Let somebody else hide them then. I know that's a moral dilemma, but it's not that hard, I don't think. I don't know, maybe you even need to repent of the lie, do it. But it's, isn't it more important to make sure that these people that you said yes to when you ask if you, that yes is more important than the yes that you give the evil person. So sometimes it's okay to lie if there's a better reason for it. And how do I know? I guess you just have to use that W word again, right? You have to use some wisdom. I don't think that one's that hard. If you're not going to lie, then don't put them in your cellar, right? All things being equal, but a lot of times all things aren't equal. So in conclusion, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asked his followers to make his goals their goals and his priorities their priorities. And what are those priorities? God and people. Uh, in any relationship, can you think of the other one first and see how this would affect them? Could you try to reconcile it? He calls his disciples to a deeper morality. As you notice, all these commandments from the Old Testament are made harder. You know, we get this idea that the new covenant's easier. Well, it is getting in. It's by grace. You can't work your way there. But once you're in, you're held to a really high standard, and Jesus has not lowered the bar. But there's always forgiveness. Instructing them to take their relationships as seriously as he does and asking them to trust his words as being beneficial to their lives and not just looking for loopholes. He tells them that if they follow him, they must be honest in their speech and trustworthy in all their words. So if you call Jesus Savior and Lord, he expects that you will follow what he says. That's back to that verse we have many, many times from Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It might just be that the Savior of the world, he created the world and has always been around and loves us enough to die on a cross, might be a little more 
in the right place to tell us how we're supposed to live than we are. He doesn't follow us. We need to follow him. Let us pray. Father, this teaching can seem so hard for us. Uh, and as we fall short of your glory in our lives, we think about the things that uh, we've done to dishonor you, and whether it's not keeping our word or breaking relationships. Uh, you know that you give us the power to do these things, but when we do fall short, that's what you died for. So help us always remember that, that even as we try to keep your rules, that it's really not about keeping rules, it's about loving you and then loving each other. May we remember that. It's about people and you. And if we remember that, you will give us the power to actually follow what you ask, always being there with open arms to forgive us when we fall short. We thank you in Jesus' name.